Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Uh, this episode, we're going to be doing an interview with Josh Mallerman. We recently did a review of uh, his latest book, Mallory. And if you go back through the years of our podcast, we've reviewed pretty much everything I'm about to read you in his bio. So, Josh Mallerman is a New York Times bestselling author and one of two singer-songwriters for the rock band The High Strung. His debut novel, Bird Box, is the inspiration for the hit Netflix film of the same name. His other novels include Unburied Carol, Black Mad Wheel, and Inspection. Mallerman lives in Michigan with his fiancée, the artist-musician Allison Lego. And, as a bonus, after this wonderful interview, we've already done the interview, so I can tell you, it's it's fantastic um but after that um, we're continuing our newest series which is spoiler interviews we really need a name for it rob this is terrible <laughs> but um we are we did go over to our patreon patreon.com slash booked where subscribers of any amount can hear an interview that is filled with spoilers about mallory and when i say interview i'll be honest it's probably 20 minutes uh five six questions with some follow-ups but we also talk about some some other pretty wild stuff that i didn't necessarily think was going to come up so if you're interested, you'll want to head over there, make a donation of at least a dollar a month, and you can hear that alongside our Zoya Stage um, spoiler interview nameless thing that we just uh, did a few days ago. That's right. So be sure to check it on Patreon. But uh, first, here is our interview with Josh. Hey, Josh, thanks so much for coming on and talking to us a little bit about Mallory. And, and happy belated birthday, by the way. Thank you. I usually typically on my birthday it's a crazy bash around here like oh i'm like whatever dude i i'm not the shy <laughs> guy and, and and i'm a leo and all my band friends and everyone i've had like blackout birthdays like <laughs> every other year you know pretty much and so and alice and i just recently had moved into this house and i'm like i was so excited like oh my god this is gonna be nuts because there's a yard and there's a deck and but nope, not this year. It was just Allison and I alone. But I, I will say this real fast. Um, you're like, wow, this guy's, all I said was happy birthday and he can't shut up. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but the night before my birthday was the last, um, what would you call it, I guess, like uh, event of like the press junket, junket that led up to Mallory uh, coming out, so, uh, led up to the release. And that was an event with Joe Hill um live all that kind of stuff and the second that one was done i was like oh my gosh i just did a lot of interviews for mallory i went in the other room and had like six seven eight whiskey and cokes got like bombed by myself <laughs> so i woke up on my birthday feeling like kind of wanting to be alone anyway <laughs> so i was kind of like a total mess <laughs> wow yes thank you for saying happy birthday <laughs> <laughs> um I guess, and also congratulations on the release of Mallory. It's out in the world now. You can't take it back. No, I sure can't. <laughs> I'm holding her right now. I hold Mallory um, during any interviews I do just for good luck. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's I do cool. that with every book. So every time we've ever talked, I've been actually like holding inspection, holding, you know. Yeah, that's why I like to do that. That's, uh, hey, if it works so far, it seems like it's You're probably working like for you. This guy's weird. This is weird superstition. Well, you know, sports people do it all the time. Like, I got to wear yeah. a certain hat or something. Totally like that. It is. It really is. <laughs> it is. It's like, well, like, hold on, honey. I, you know, I gotta, I gotta keep the mitt in my like just right, just right here while the game's on. <laughs> That's like exactly what I'm doing right now. 
Well, since you're holding on to it, and we just did a review of it, um, we like to give the author the opportunity to give it to the the listeners in their own uh, words. So, do you want to do a quick uh, remind us what Mallory's about? Yeah, sure. Um, essentially, the bulk of the book takes place um, twelve years after the end of Bird Box. There's a brief moment about two years after, but the bulk of it's t- uh, twelve years after. And what that means is Mallory is no longer contending with creatures. She is also contending with teenagers. Um, Her kids are now both 16. And like most events in life, or like a lot of events in life, this this story really starts with a knock at the door, a door that Mallory would never open because she is as hardcore as ever about being safe. which is a bizarre thing to be hard. It's like she's hardcore about not being hardcore or something. You know what I mean? Just this like piece of. <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a second because I actually have thoughts about how happy I am that this is not Terminator Two or Sarah Connor or or um or uh, Aliens. You know, in terms of sequels. But anyway, so and the other side of that door, um, is someone who claims to be with a census. If if you can imagine what job that might be in this in this in the bird box world. What an int- I'd almost actually like to follow that guy for a whole book, to be honest with you, because what I mean, gosh, that could be like a book of short stories, right? Like all the crazy stuff that that guy must encounter taking numbers. Anyway, on in his stack of papers on his list of survivors are two names that are very important to Mallory and who she had she had thought were dead. And so begins like her, you know, debating whether or not to go see if those people are alive and if those names are even who she hopes they are in that whole thing. So, so yeah, it starts with the census guy arriving and, and, oh, it's important to note that like really nothing, no progress has been made in like society, not much. Um, and I was very aware of that while writing it. Um, there's no mention of the government in this book, successes or failures. There's no military. It's not like suddenly Mallory's an ass kicker with like a rifle on each arm. It's not like she's <laughs> like a creature killer with like traps on each arm. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so in a way, it's very similar to Bird Box, um, which I love about it because just I almost picture them as two mirrors. And when you put mirrors up to each other, you create infinity. And that is what the monster is in Bird Box. So I have a, I have a certain um, affinity for, for the fact that Mallory feels like Bird Box. And, th- and that would be my, I guess if I was just telling a total stranger about it, that's how <laughs> I described it. I think you pretty well captured it there. You know, when you said she's dealing with teenagers, all I could think of is I'm glad TikTok didn't survive the, <laughs> uh, the, the mild apocalypse in Bird Box. Because imagine how much harder Mallory's life would have been if social media was present for her teenagers, too. So, Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that's not even funny. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start off with with a, a maybe an odd question. So I couldn't help, and I, I think I speak for Rob too, but reading Mallory could not help but picturing Sandra Bullock the entire time. Um, did you have this issue when you were writing the book after seeing her um, do, you know, terrific performance as Mallory in the Bird Box movie? A little, a little bit. There were, okay, it's Mallory, her, I, have a, I have like a handful of characters that are, and I'm, I'm sure every author must have this, um, that are 
more dear to their heart, maybe, or something. Smoke from Unbury Carol is like that to me. Um, K from Inspection is like that to me. And Walter Camp in Goblin is like that to me. And Mallory is like that to me. I, she's always been like super special to me. So, and, and probably even the most so. Um, so for me, I'll, I would never be able to get rid of my initial idea of her. I was alone with her from 06 till when the movie came out, almost 2019. It was the very end of 18. So I was alone with Mallory for like, uh, for, with that with that image of Mallory for like, my God, like thir 12, 13 years or something. So, but <laughs> that would be one side of the scale. But one way to combat a 13 year image is to put like a Hollywood icon in place of her on a movie screen. And that movie does extremely well. And, and I've seen the movie seven times and all that. And I met, as you know, Sandra Bullock and all this. So, yeah, man, even me, who knows Mallory as well as anybody possibly could, even I was like, oh, hi, hi, Sandra Bullock. Like, while I'm writing it, you know, all of a sudden she's... And I, I almost feel like it was like maybe... Um, what's the right way of saying this? Like, certain scenes felt like Sandra Bullock and certain mm -hmm. scenes felt more like um, Mallory that I know, that I knew all that time. That makes sense. I could see that. I, I've, I feel like... Um... When I was reading it, I, I'm pretty close to what Livia said as far as imagining her, but it was more like if like there was a like an animated drawing of of her as opposed to an actual like real life film like video of her or whatever. Like so, the image was not 100 percent her in my mind. Interesting. Yeah, almost like a graphic novel or something. Yeah, like someone drew Sandra Bullock, and that's what. <laughs> yeah, that's but, interesting. Yeah. I. I the reason that's striking a chord with me because that what you just said could just sound like a like a bizarre thing, right? Yeah. But I almost feel like that's I had the same experience. Okay. That it would almost seem like stills versus like her actually like I don't know that I pictured like Sandra Bullock wearing what she wore in the movie like walking up the road, right? On a train, like I don't know if I saw it that way, but there would be moments of seeing her maybe sitting in a dining car, yeah, or 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 going to see Ron Handy in the gas station. Like, so it almost be like panels. Yeah. That's weird that you said that. <laughs> and then the other thing, actually, this just occurred to me. I forgot. We talked about it when we posted our, uh, inter our review of the book, um, in scenes where it was someone who was blindfolded, I didn't see what was being described. I saw like the darkness, you know, in my imagination. So, but I feel uh, Livia said that he actually like imagined what was happening for real. But that's, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I when <laughs> that stuff I would hmm I don't I usually picture the the darkness myself actually. Yeah. Yeah, well, what a creative writer. <laughs> <laughs> but writing it you had to describe it so you knew what it looked like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh so one of the things I'm going to bring up something that happened early on the book um and uh, it's just um it doesn't really spoil anything but uh it, it's when they're still at the school for the blind and um Maybe it does spoil. You can tell me if it spoils stuff. Um, essentially, uh, the the place goes nuts because they, obviously people see creatures. And one of the the crazy parts that I think was one of the most interesting like stakes raisers of of the story was um, one of the people who had gone mad was blind, and so that kicked off like 
just enormous extra amounts of paranoia and and safety kind of precautions for Mallory. So um, for me, it was it was brilliant. But um, I'm just wondering how what gave you that idea. I can almost imagine an entire book of Mallory just interrogating a blind person that who, who had gone mad, right? Yeah. Yes. Like, like to, in fact, now that I'm talking about that, I almost want to write that right now, and maybe I will. But I can almost, yeah, just like, like, how did this happen to you? Have you always, you, you would need a third character, or maybe not, but I think you would need a third character, right, to be like, how did this happen to her? Like, what was she like before? Is this old age did she hit her head like what happened to this person to drive them mad like what is happening here and there's there's something about you know i i i wanted to what's the right phrase like make or increase mallory's paranoia but also increase her like it's justified like her lording there's no question that her lording over um the kids in the in bird box there's just no question it's justified and I mean, you could argue the same with Mallory, but at the same time, that's a long time in this new world now, 17 years. We, we've we been in this pandemic for, what, four and a half months? Yeah. And <laughs> all of us are like, or half the country's like, fuck it, right? So <laughs> 17 years, like, I don't know if she would be exactly the same. So that was just one of the ways of like, okay, now maybe Mallory's worried, you know, God, I'm, I'm worried about spoilers right now. But maybe Mallory would be concerned that they can get to you in more ways than just sight. And what's the way to do that? Well, that making a, a blind person go mad. I really may write that other uh, that other story that that I was just talking about because that just sounds so awesome, like a mm-hmm. one a one act story or something. <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably a good segue into this next question. So there were I don't. I didn't count, but there had to be at least 20 or 25 new ideas that were introduced. So some of them were were processes. Some of them were, I guess I could say it abilities because we talked about it in, in the review, right? So kids who grew up, grew up with blindfolds on um, all the time ha- have heightened hearing, which makes perfect sense because this is something that we know about people who lose their sight or are or, or deprived of sight their entire life. Um how hard and maybe how fun was it to come up with how much people's, you know, whatever abilities and, and like the processes that have changed um, over, you know, 16 years with the creatures. Do you mean, do you mean, um, uh, what's it called? Like the, the, the failed experiments and all that stuff too, or no? Yes. Yep. All of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. That was like maybe the most fun thing of the whole book for me because you know, in a way, I, I, that's another thing I would like to write. God, my God, this is the third novel I want to write now out of this conversation. <laughs> there, there will be more. Just the census papers. I would love to read just the census papers and to read these long accounts of just like, they tried this. Uh, my favorite one that's, uh, I don't think this is a spoiler, but later on in the book, the one where they tie that woman to the tree um, because they're like, what happens if that initial impulse to go mad is cur- like, you can't do anything about it. You can't hurt yourself. Right. You can't hurt anyone else. Right. How long will that urge to do something last? Because in Bird Box, it's always instantaneous, really, pretty much. So if you had someone completely like tied to a tree or a chain or whatever, like how long? 
And then I don't want to spoil what happens in that moment, but that kind of like thinking, it was almost like for me, I was able to, um, what's the right phrase? Like it was almost like coming up with a, like a bunch of little different book ideas. Like the people that try to look at a, look at the creatures underwater. That's freaky. I mean, like, you know, if you were like, I don't know about you guys, but that even sounds scarier than just opening my eyes outside. Like, okay, we think there's one in the water, Tommy. We're going to need you to go in there, go under and open your eyes. Do it for the cause. Maybe the water, we can see him through water, you know? And it's like, oh, I'm on it, dude, you know? And so it's like that has its own fun short story. So, yeah, that whole thing was, like, super exciting for me. In fact... To be honest with you, I I would have liked to even write uh, written more of that, and and that for some reason, sometimes when you're done with a book and you're you feel like you got like the, it's almost like a song, like where you you played it well and you did it and you're like man if we had just done that chorus one more time that would be pretty sweet and then and then your bandmates like no 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 it's good how it is you know it's it's like you don't want to overdo it you want more that kind of thing, and I think that that aspect of this book I would have liked to done even a little bit more. Well, uh, it, it's come up a couple of times, so I want to acknowledge that um, we agree that the census taker idea is just fertile with opportunity. Um, and uh, in the review, we, I think we agreed that that was probably one of the most interesting or potentially interesting characters in the book and um, just a brilliant idea. So um, we had a question about, like, <laughs> do you feel, foresee other stories in this world? prepared and uh one of the things i wrote was census taker so um yeah so now i used to as of let me look at the clock as of 22 minutes ago i used to say i have one other idea now i have two and that uh, (laughs) i'll start with the second one is that it's a book about a census taker in this world the census taker in this world who witnesses the interrogation of a blind person that went mad. Oh yeah, that badass. Now, <laughs> there you go. That, okay, so now I think we just literally together. I think we just came up with a, a new bird box story. If I ever want to write it, one that I absolutely love and the oh, god, I love this freaking idea, is that the like let's say it was bird box three. My god, that's the worst title ever. But <laughs> bird box three, and it opens with a bunch of people eating in a diner, no blindfolds, whatever. And they're all like talking and da 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 da, da and music's playing and and this and then like a like an older woman walks by in the sidewalk or crosses the street with a blindfold and then and then other people are just walking and then maybe an older man walks by you know an older couple with a blindfold and 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 you can even call the book they're gone right but you know if you're reading that book that eventually shit's gonna hit the fan right so. <laughs> So you, that's like a ticking time bomb. Every moment in that diner, the door opens. Uh, Jenny looks over her shoulder. Oh, you're like, oh, what you? nope, no, it's just just somebody entering the diner. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Tommy. You know, Tom, not Tom. Um, uh, Jonathan. You know, the little kid screams or something. Look, oh my God, what's going on? Okay, no, no, you know, just he just you know was screaming at his sister. And then every moment does from the diner walk the walk home. The, the drive somewhere, every moment you're like, Jesus Christ, this is going to happen right now. It's like you can maintain that tension of they're gone, that like false belief of they're gone for like 100 pages. And, and that's like exciting as hell to me because now that's almost like the meta. See, Bird Box in a weird way to me has always been a little bit 
meta horror, right? Because you're always scared of what you see, right? Or, you know, the monster that you see in the room. And here's one. Here's a book about you're scared of. It's like the inverse. It's like the negative of that or something. Now, let's go one step further. Let's write a horror novel where... Where they're like everyone, like there is no monster, and the whole time you're afraid. <laughs> that would be great. Well, yeah, one of the really badass, right? That was one of the things that uh, obviously the impression with Bird Box, especially, was that you're tense the whole time. So knowing what you know and having that endless anticipation would be uh, pretty torturous. Like torturous. I almost like have a fantasy of they never show up. Like, you just maintain that for 300 pages. <laughs> Listen. Like, the end. And people Josh, are like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, the, the Goodreads reviews would be... Um, the, the Goodreads reviews would be interesting, to say the least, if, if you went that route. The real monster was the author. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, it, um, but it's an interesting... It's definitely a time bomb scenario, like, just ticking away, you know? That, but I love I love that both those ideas. So maybe both of those are coming. This the beauty of the census taker is that that could be a book of short stories. And like I don't know, and they don't all have to involve creatures. You know what I mean? Like right. sometimes when I think of like it, right? It is um, if you really break it down, can be seen as a collection of short stories. There's each of their encounter with Pennywise as a kid each of their encounter with Pennywise as an adult, Mike's history, right? The standoff as a group as a kid, the standoff, you know, each, there's there really is like a collection of short stories all with the same antagonist. And that could be something similar to that could be done with that census taker where there's, in every story, it's the hovering, it's not Pennywise, it's, it's the creatures of Bird Box they're there somewhere, but the really under that umbrella, and, and certain ones would be encounters, but under that umbrella is how people, you know, are behaving, reacting, living under that umbrella. And they, they could be so freaking different from each other. You could you could meet um yeah, you could have all various like age groups, philosophies. Dude, it doesn't even have to happen just in America. Although if, if I was gonna right. go to the census, I'd stick to one place. But but you know what I mean? There's something interesting about that, like to have like that combination of that fly on the wall narrator and that could be our census taker combine that with that sort of trojan horse group of um short stories which is like it set in this bird box world that's that to me is an exciting book <laughs> for sure and i i mean i think i want to go back to something you said about the different things that people would try like looking at them underwater like i when i hear things like that i think back to like how we have anything so i imagine there's a bunch of dudes that tried to fly that we've never heard of yes because they were like on their own and they failed spectacularly or or at some point someone was like hey what if we dry up this plant roll it in another plant then light it on fire and inhale the smoke like that had to go wrong for quite a few people oh. Yeah, for before sure. you know what I mean. So there's always humans are always going to try things, and sometimes not even out of necessity, right? So no one needed to smoke a plant. Uh, you know, it's arguable if someone needed to fly, but like trying to figure out a life in which you can't walk around outside with vision would be even more of an imperative to try a variety of different things. So I found all the failures to be very, very genuine because that's just human nature, right? 
you know, I love what you're saying too, because you can almost even call the book something like, like not early man, but like something that has to do something that harkens back to that or something. And it's all the like trial and error. And it's like all haunted by the same ghost in a strange way. You know, there's just so many, my God, that is just so right. This is really, I'm working on a new book now. And this conversation is actually making me want to write the book we're talking about. Um, Go, no, but uh, I always say that kind of thing to Allison, too. I'll be like, you know, there had to be, like, somebody that sat in the first chair, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, somebody's, Allison, somebody first said you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Like, that's a cliche now, but at one point in time, someone said that first. Mm -hmm. That's that's like a hit. That's more of a hit than, like, a Beatles song. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and like just the bizarre like scientific method that you would have to you know manifest in in a post apocalyptic world where you can't trust your eyesight. There's a lot of potential to that for sure. That yeah, so I love. Okay, so I'm just gonna have to. It's almost like we're taking um like a dictaphone right now of ideas <laughs> because like I'm gonna listen to this later and be like, oh shit, I gotta write that now. But I you know, but then that's okay. That's a whole different world because. Bird Box, the book, well, no, actually the movie too, like created like a sort of a, I don't want to say a standard or something, but it seems like it, it was a fairly big to-do Mallory coming out, right? So to, if so, the other book I'm writing right now, I have no idea. There's no pressure, no plan, no nothing for that. If I sat down and wrote another Bird Box book, but then so what? Just do it, just to do it anyway. Who gives a shit? Like that would be kind of awesome to say like, you know, down the road, someone's like, hey, um, have you ever considered another one? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I wrote another one. <laughs> <laughs> but you but you don't get to read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> I was booked one, one night and um, <laughs> it, it, like <laughs> three other novels, actually, man. <laughs> this is this is a completely unrelated um, follow up, I guess. How <clears throat> I don't even know how to say this. How quickly do you write? I mean, do you type? like a ridiculous amount because the amount of stuff you're putting out. So there's, there's two ways I can think about this, right? Either you're writing 18 hours a day or you write so quickly that you're writing like three or four hours a day. But I mean, just with what's been published in the last six or seven years since, since we've known of you. Plus I, I understand that you have a, a backlog of things you've written and let's not forget about things you've rewritten completely that we've discussed previously on the, on the podcast. Like, how quickly do you churn these out? Well, so Alice and I moved into this house on July 14th of 2019. And now it is almost August and I'm working on the fourth novel here. But while here, I also rewrote, Bird, uh, sorry, Mallory in a big way. Um, I did Carpenter's Farm live. So that means I rewrote that, like wrote a chapter, rewrote it. But I, that, that, I wouldn't count that as an as an, an intensive rewrite, but it was rewritten. Um, you know, I wrote a novella recently for, for Audible. I wrote like some short stories. So in a year, I mean, it's hard to say because sometimes it comes in like, oh my God, just such glorious bursts, guys. I, it, sounded, it sounded weird and wrong what I just said, but sometimes it comes in like such, like just, like like manic exciting um seasons or stretches of time you know that kind of thing but other times i intentionally if i know the book's going to be very long 
then I intentionally do less per day to stay so so that I don't burn out. So right. like okay, I wrote a book. It's eleven hundred pages. It's in this. It's across from me across the desk from me. And and that one I knew from the start. I'm like, dude, you can come out running on this one. But when you get to page like, if you get to three hundred pages in a month, you are gonna run out of gas and you're gonna have so far to go. You know. So instead, I did like what was it? Um, I think it was about a hundred pages a month instead. So I, I did my, yeah, that was, that's exactly right. I, I chopped like my normal work rate to like a, 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 to a third of it. And it was grueling for me because I would finish the day's work and be like, oh my God, like, I'm like, what am I going to do now? You know, like I want to go, go, go. And it's like, listen, you got to same thing with like running. I don't know if you guys run or whatever I, I used to here and there, but like, if you like run 10 miles today, you're probably not running tomorrow. But if you run one or two today, you're probably going to run tomorrow. I mean, it's that simple. And it's the same exact thing. So the rate like changes depending on like the project and how, you know, that I've gone out like, oh, 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 uh, Unburied Carol was written in 15 days. That was, woo, that nice. was fire. That was, you can't even, I can't even explain what that one felt like, man. <laughs> that was absolute fire. And Bird Box, the rough draft was like, 26 days, Wendy, my first book was 28 days, but then there's other ones that three, four months. So it's, it really is project to project, which I kind of like because like, I don't really know exactly what it's going to be like going into it. I don't even know at what time of day it's going to happen, but it seems to turn out where it's uniform per book, right? So Bird Box was written all between the hours of 8 a.m. and 11.30 um, a.m., uh, during October of 06. But um, the book Wendy was written between midnight and four in the morning in December of 04. And, but mm -hmm. always those hours. So each book does seem to, to, it just has like its own like measure to it or something. That's interesting. Um, so one of the things that I like that you did on this topic was uh, in Mallory, you included uh, an explanation of being prolific, or, or and kind of talking about the fact, like the, the exact fact that you produce a lot and and what that means. Which um, it was it was it was nice to see you acknowledge that because when you get someone who produces so much content, people talk about it. Like it's it's one of those um, attributes that it just it's easy to. Uh, be a conversation piece. Stephen Graham Jones is an amazing example of that as well. Um, so I like the fact that you personalize the idea of like why you just produce as much as you do. That was I, when I saw that I was like, this makes total sense. Later on, I know that you did Max Booth's podcast and that came up too. Um, so it's nice that the people who are prolific kind of like are sharing what it's like to be or or why the inspiration comes how it does and stuff well you know i i think i think it's an afterward where or maybe not where i was um ashamed of it for a while and it's hard to explain like why that is but like it, and i don't want to just like repeat the afterward but whatever if i do sorry but like there's a sense of like um when especially if you come from like a more like literary 
um, group of friends, which I do. Uh, meaning that meaning they're not reading genre, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? And and so there's a sense of like, whoa, Josh, well, you know, you just wrote a book like last month. What do you mean you're writing another one? You know, <laughs> you start to look, you're like, that's you know, that's not how Cheever did it. No, <laughs> that's not how Carol did it, man. You know, that kind of thing. And then you're like, uh, I can't stop moving. Uh, you know. But anyway, so there there is almost there have been times in my life where I almost like like downplayed it where I'd be at a party and someone, you know, with like whatever, like that kind of set, I guess you'd say. And they'd be like, Oh, you're you write and I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. And they're like, Oh, like uh you've written novels? I'm oh yeah, yeah, I've written like yeah, yeah, I've written like a couple and there's like fifteen at home, you know? <laughs> and it's like but then at some point it was just so blatantly like I don't remember the exact moment. I know that it has to do with um Guided by Voices and Stephen King and even Agatha Christie, although she's she's a hard one for me to fit into that group, and I don't know why. Even though she wrote more than everyone else we're even going to talk about, I don't I don't know what it is about her. Hers almost feels like um, installments to me. Even though she's brilliant, she's an absolute genius. And let's just count her. Forget it. Let's count her. So <laughs> Agatha Christie, right? I don't need to resist. Why am I resisting Agatha Christie into the Pacific <laughs> Club? The fuck, man. So okay, Agatha, you're in. And then like. And then I started to like appreciate them in like this way where it was like I, I started to like realize, wait, this is one of the things I love about them. Like why where is this to be ashamed of? And then that led to, you know, I would start to tell people like they'd be like, Where do I start with Guided by Voices? And I'd be like, You just start in the middle and go in either direction. It doesn't yeah. matter. Start at the end and go back, but it doesn't you don't have to go in order, whatever. This is an entire like life document in here. So where are you gonna where are you gonna start, you know? In a biography, I guess, you know, or not in a biography, but like with a person, right? Right. <laughs> so, like Agatha Christie, well, see, maybe that's what it is. You don't get the sense that Agatha Christie documented her life. You don't, you know? But with Stephen King, you do. With Robert, with Robert Pollard, you do. I'm not sure you get that with Hitchcock, but there's something. You definitely see, like, insane growth because he starts in the silent era, for crying out loud, and ends up, you know, what, 70 three is his last movie or something right so <clears throat> i think at some point i was like wait a minute this is not something to be ashamed of that doesn't mean you have to like walk into the first you know <laughs> starbucks you walk into hello i write endlessly you know but i stopped being like ashamed of it and now and now i've now i'm proud of it yeah and honestly like there from my perspective having you know reviewed books for um you know, a decade now and in the, in the genre that we generally talk about horror comes up a lot. And obviously I mentioned Stephen Graham Jones before there's almost like a, an unspoken stigma. Like the joke would be like, Oh, he probably wrote a book while we were talking about this. And well, we did actually, right. (laughs) We did. And it's, and you know that like a lot of that is like, um, admiration for the ability to do that. But some of it is like, why can't I write that much? You know, like, so I feel like the fact that people are putting a positive spin on being prolific is, is, is absolutely a good, good thing to do. Yeah. Same here. Same here. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a funny thing because it's like, to like someone who has no idea what we're talking about, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Be- Prolifics were marginalized for a while, but yes, <laughs> it was like considered uh, like, like supermarkety. To like write a lot, you know, 
Like, right. like, oh, he's not writing, he's typing, that whole thing, you know? I um I did some really, really loose math, kind of jotting down some 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 numbers that you threw out. So for anybody who's listening, uh, if you want to break down what sounds um, daunting, um, it sounds like Bird Box, its first draft was written at about a clip of 12 pages per day and three to four pages per hour, which to me sounds a lot less daunting than I wrote Bird Box in a month. So I think that's a good, um, you know, a, a good point to make for people who are listening, going, well, I can never crank out a book even over six months, like over six months, that math would be, you know, you could do half a page a day and basically get there. Dude, absolutely yeah. what you're saying right now. But then, OK, also this, though, Bird Box, the rough draft was twice as long, though, almost. Oh, OK, never. <laughs> All right. So double my math. On that. <laughs> but uh, I did yeah. 4,300 words a day on Bird Box. Wow. So. What what is that? Um, how many pages? What like, geez, wow, that sounds nuts. Right? Let's say it's 15, 16, something like that, fourteen, whatever, right? Yeah, it's close to what you said then, actually. Yeah. No, 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 uh, it's not. It, so it, so it'd be like like twenty four, I think, like twenty two to twenty four pages a day. No, 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 no. I'd say I'd say that it was like let's say it was sixteen. I think it was sixteen. Okay. So then, if you're working right, three and a half. So let's just say four to be. To make it easier, yeah, you know, it's close to what you said actually. About four pages, let's say a little over four pages an hour. But that's one of the, like the craziest clips I've ever gone at, you know. So the usual thing, like you're saying, mm -hmm. hmm, interesting. Yeah, no, it is. It, it is about yeah, like three, I think, three an hour, something like that. And then like, <clears throat> but if you, um, oh my God, I, you know, I got a great friend here in town, Jeff, who's been writing in the music scene forever, and he's phenomenal, and he's writing a novel. And we had like a talk about it, and you know, it was like, if you could do 500 words a day, that kind of thing, then like, you're just, you're not gonna believe how quickly these add up, man. And, and it's honestly, guys, it feels like him and I just started talking about this. I know we're on lockdown, so time's a little warped, but it feels like we just started talking about this, and he wrote me today at 36,000 words. I'm like, what? Holy shit. Like, it's working. Like, nice. just doing about 500 a day. I think it's 600, actually. Five, 600 a day. And here he is at 36,000 words. That's half of Mallory. And again, we were like, he's been just working on it for a couple months. So when you start to look at that, let's say Jeff did that every single day. In fact, here, I'm going to do this. Let's say Jeff wrote. Let's see, everyone in class, let's say Jeff writes <laughs> for 365 days. Okay, that's 219,000 words a year. That's crazy, dude. Now, divide that, wow. by, divide that by one Mallory, which is like 72,000. That's three novels a year if he writes 600 words a day. One of the beautiful things is Carpenter's Farm, which I know we it was last time we had you on, you were kind of in the middle of Carpenter's Farm. And I don't know that anything um, ever really brought it to light for me because you did that. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but over a span of a very short time, releasing a couple chapters a couple times a week um, and, and, and a fully fledged, you know, short novel length story appeared before our eyes as you were doing it. And it, it, you know, again, I, I, I very much enjoyed it. I'm not slighting it, but I started thinking like, man, it doesn't seem like it's all that hard. Like it's, it seems more daunting. 
that, that, <laughs> I, you know, but the way you released it really, I think, brought to light for for me at least. I'm assuming for other people, um, it, it's that it's um, it's not as daunting as you first think. No, absolutely no. But Carpenter's Farm is longer than Mallory. <laughs> there you go. Is it? Is it really? It's seventy six thousand words, and Mallory's I think seventy. Holy shit. I guess that's the difference yeah. between reading a little bit every, you know, every other day versus yeah. what I normally do, which is five days to, to finish the next book we're reviewing. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. Is that about what you do is about do you like kind of give yourself five days to finish reading like a novel? Is that kind of how you do it? Yes. That's what Livius that, does. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's my plan. Rob gives himself the, the afternoon before we do the review. I feel like I, I know that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But yeah, I usually try to I'll take a book and I'll say, look, I read about a page a minute. You know, so the book is 300 pages. I'm going to need five hours. I'm going to spend an hour a day. And then usually my my midweek day off of work, I'll do whatever catching up I need to or getting a little bit ahead of it. But, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I like that. That That's something that because of the lockdown, I've been on um, I've been on a tear. I've read 49 already. And that for me, that is like so much like like last year, I only read like 22 or something or whatever it was like. I know that that sounds really small. But um, in, you know, in like, the circles we run in, but um, for me, this this lockdown's been unbelievable. But it is opening my eyes to that. Okay, then you could transfer that to reading. If you read yep. three hundred, or I'm sorry, if you read thirty pages a day or forty pages a day, that kind of thing. And if you like you said, it takes you about a minute. So you read for one hour a day. My God, you're reading like sixty, seventy books a year or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've done that breakdown for people when they say, "How do you read so much?" Usually, I say, "If you read twenty pages a day." That's 25 books a year. Right. So uh, it's not hard. It's just a matter of just electing to make the effort. <laughs> that exact thing. And see, by the way, we have entered the prolific zone now. We really, <laughs> like, like how we're talking. This is like I'm very comfortable in this in this room we're in right now. Like, <laughs> like it's like when you break these things down, it's all the same. And it's the same thing for like a runner. Oh, did you run 12? You can't run 12 miles. Yeah, you can if you do one and then one and a half and work yep. your way running every day, you get there. And and it's like, it's just, I just wanna like, anyone that's ever struggling to write a book or get started, there's like a couple things that I think hold them back. One is, as you say, the daunting like size of a novel. Well, we're picking that apart right now in this talk. And the other one is like, am I good good enough or not? And that has to be just like obliterated, like just bomb the hell out of that question. Just don't even ask right. that question. So then we're, we're it's like you just want to like touch that person on the shoulder and be like, dude, the numbers are gonna add up. Just do a little bit every day. This number, I'm not even. I know it sounds a little hippie-ish or something, but I'm not fucking around. You do a little <laughs> bit every day. Months from now, you're gonna have like half a novel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we touched on it in the last time we talked too. Where like uh, um, I had a buddy who was uh, talking about how everything he writes, you know, he feels like he's just writing garbage, and I'm like, write the garbage, because then you can go back and fix the garbage later. So that takes away another obstacle of like, you don't have to do it perfect. You just do it and then make it better or whatever. Yep. Yep. That's exactly that. That. That's the whole thing. It's like if we ever, if ever I had like a writing, if ever I got paid to do like a writing conference, I would just walk in and just say what you just said and walk out. <laughs> You're like, you guys have another 50 minutes of time to do whatever you want because. Now you have, right. Hey, but oh, yep. 
Now you can write three pages. We got you for another hour. Well, night, you have an hour. Get started. <laughs> yeah, that would be the ballsiest thing to ever do if, if you were doing that, like a live seminar. I would just applaud. That'd be great. Dude, I got a strange invite the other day. This is like the strangest invite I've got for like a public speaking or something where a, an old friend wrote, hey, you know, there's this something something club. And they we, we have like one like public speaker a year and they're like, it's a it's like it, it takes place in this like it was like this nice place. I don't know where like the Detroit Yacht Club. No, not that nice. Something, whatever. But it was like everyone there just gets like bombed out of their minds and they're super like randy and loud. And but it's still like like an intellectuals like like lecture kind of thing. And, and the guy's like, I think this is right up your alley. And I'm like, dude, that sounds fucking terrifying. Wait, so I'm supposed to go. Wait, hold on. So I'm supposed to go like intentionally give like a speech or a talk on writing to a room of people that are like, like heckling, rowdy, randy, right. their ideas. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm made for that or not, man. But now, now don't you want me to kind of go do it? Well, that's the one where you like find out that like they're all secretly cannibals or something. Like, yeah, no shit, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the start of like we've read enough books not to take that, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think everyone everyone is like, yeah, yeah, don't don't give that speech, dude. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, transitioning um, away a little bit, I guess, and I don't even know if this is something you're able to talk about or if there's anything to talk about here. But uh, is there interest in a Mallory movie after the success of Bird Box? Yes. I, all I can say is, um, all, which is literally all I know, is that development has begun. They let us know that they want to do it. They told us they love the book and that they want to do it. And they have um, the rights to do it, um, whether I had written Mallory or not. They have the rights to oh. do it whenever they want. Huh. And they wrote that they love Mallory and that they want to they do it. And so I had heard something um, about them looking for screenwriters in like a similar process to the way they did with Bird Box. And that's, that's all I know so far. All right. And this is going to be a real hard transition. Uh, so this is a little bit of a two-part thing. I noticed on, I think it was Facebook, um, that for your birthday, I'm assuming, uh, you received a pretty cool Alice Cooper, maybe hand-drawn, hand-painted portrait. Yeah. Are you a fan? Are you a big Alice Cooper fan? Yeah. So, um, Okay. So I don't, and we can go into that, but my question, I saw, I saw that and I was thinking, Hmm, let's see. Josh writes by and large horror and he's a musician. And Alice Cooper's a musician whose basic genre, or at least his best stuff in my opinion is all horror themed. So what do you think about these two kind of seemingly unrelated types of entertainment coming together, like horror stories and music? Oh man, it's something I've thought of like a lot over time, and there's only a few. What was what was that one dude? Oh, God, I really wish I could remember his name right now. Screaming Lord Such, maybe that's who I'm thinking of. Like there's a guy in like the '60s who like was like you know it's freaky, and then um, oh, man, what is that guy's name? Anyway, Alice Cooper's probably like the apex of what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Or the Misfits, or but no, 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 I'd say maybe I'd say Alice Cooper. But when you when you listen to his stuff. Like, and I'm not even talking about just the hits. And I know he's got a ton of weird, like, like creepy stuff, you know, like fun. But it's really not like, it's not like super dark. Like when I was a kid, I thought, I assumed Alice Cooper was like so scary. Like the music would be scary. Like, no, dude, they're accessible, fun songs. Mm -hmm. It's very strange 
um, marriage to make work. Because if you entered, or let's say if I did, if I try, if I sat down and try to write like 10 scary songs, that sounds like that, like that's a dangerous footing, right? Um, that sounds like that could be the cheesiest freaking thing ever. But there's a million awesome ways to do that, right? You could, you could do like, what about just like 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 murder ballads that were more like um, uh, rather than murder murder tales, like ghost stories on your acoustic guitar, or mm-hmm. more. And it doesn't have to be so horror. You know, whenever I go to like um, uh, what do they call? It? It's I guess it'd be like a horror convention around around here, but it feels more of like a horror flea market, right? You know, and and it's all like Rob Zombie music playing. And I'm always thinking, like, there's other scary, or there's other, like, quote unquote, horror music, you know? Like, I have a fantasy of <clears throat> of starting, like, my own um, horror convention where, like, when you walk in, it's like Vincent Price music, you know? It's like Bernard Herman, <laughs> like, violins and, like, freaky, creepy, castle y music that, versus, like, you know, insane clown posse or something, you know? It's like just because someone wears makeup that doesn't make this music like that's that's horror or something. But I do think that Alice Cooper is he he somehow pulled that off as good as you can do it. Now, because it's a while ago, um it sounds a little like poppy to us, right? So mm-hmm. like who would be doing that today? I don't know enough about that band Ghost. Do you guys know that band? I'm a little familiar. So I tried listening to them a little, and that mm-hmm. almost felt like too emotional, like too dramatic to me or something, yeah. what I heard. But but maybe I just don't know where to look, because I like a lot of, like, truly a lot of different stuff. Um, but I think it's, like, dangerous idea to sit down and attempt to write what would be, like, a horror album. But then the second after I said that a second ago, I was like, no, maybe it's not. I don't know. What, what, do, you, what do you think about that? Um, I've loved Alice Cooper since I was probably 10 years old and, and some of, you know, like you were talking and I thought, all right, so, so some of it's horror, but I mean, he's got a toe tapping song about necrophilia. So yeah. cold, cold Ethel is something that if you didn't listen to the words, you know, you just tap your foot and kind of bob your head along to it. And, and if you really listen to it, you go, Oh, holy shit. This is, this is pretty dark. So, I mean, I think there's a good mix. I mean, some other ones that came to mind, King Diamond is someone I listened to a oh, lot yeah. when I was a teen. So yeah. Merciful Fate and King Diamond, that and it was all kind of very gothic. Uh, a little bit, yeah. I was thinking about it when you were talking about castly music, right? If you had castly metal, it would definitely be King Diamond, you know, playing. Yeah, I have Abigail. Is that mm-hmm. one? Yep. Yeah, I have one here yeah. on vinyl in my office. Yeah. And then there's a song that, um, and I'm going to really out my, my emo self here, I think, um, which is embarrassing when you're almost 50. Um, Senses Fail has a song called Buried a Lie. Mm-hmm. which is a song about a guy who, you know, I'm, I'm on the fence. I've listened to the song probably a thousand times and I've tried to, it's almost like a short story and I'm trying to decide if the protagonist I'll call him in this is crazy or not. He believes that um, a friend of his was poisoned. So he actually digs up her body and tries to conduct his own autopsy. And I mean, what a great story that is to have yeah. in whatever three minutes and 15 seconds. And they're just a, you know, they're, they're a middle of the road emo band. If I'm being honest, they're not a great band, but what a great song. So there are ways that that can manifest. Yeah. You're totally right. When, yeah. when, okay. When the high strong were, when, well, the high strong were already on the road, but then I also then started writing novels. And whenever I had an idea for a short story, it became a song. 
And whenever I had an idea for a longer story, it was a novel. So when Bird Box came out, I had zero short stories, none. And that's a very strange thing for a guy that had 14 novels or 15 novels or something. <laughs> wow. I had a couple maybe shorts that I tried in college. You know what I mean? But like, sure. I mean, that sounded hilarious. Like, like I was experimental in college. <laughs> it's like, it's a couple of shorts that I went with. But, but anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I experimented with short stories. Yeah, yeah, I experimented. <laughs> I did try to write an erotic story once, an erotica, and I got too turned on. I'm not even fucking around. <laughs> I had to stop. I was like, I can't, I was like this genre is not for me, man. I made it like two pages in, and I was like, nope, I'm done. No, nope, I, I can't. I can't write in this condition. I can't write. In this condition. <laughs> Seriously, I was way too turned on. Okay, anyway, so in the early high strung, or not even the early high strung days, in the early finishing of the novels days. So there's a lot of high strung songs that um there's one about <clears throat> it's called Gravedigger and it's about a um you know night the night watchman of a cemetery who is bored and then starts rearranging all the names and dates on the tombstones and then new names and like impossible dates are saying in the song stuff like that um there's another one about like a museum curator who um believes that his stuff is as good as anybody on the walls. So he like, you know, he, he steals the keys and, and, and brings all of his own artwork in there, whatever. He like breaks into the joint, destroys all the great art and puts up his own. And for one night he's, you know, he is, on, you know, he's on display for one night. And these were all like short stories which actually stories that would make a lot of sense in like Goblin to me, these, these a lot of these like songs. Um, so, I would have, I guess that's the closest I've ever come to combining those two worlds. But then I was asked by Doug Morano and D. Alexander Ward to contribute a story to Shadows Over Main Street. And I wrote for them a fiddlehead party on Carpenter's Farm, which I knew, I told you before, I think, which I knew would lead to Carpenter's Farm eventually. Mm-hmm. And um, once I wrote that one, I was like, oh, shit. Okay, and now I've now I've got like a bunch of short stories. <laughs> See, you, I, I just sat back and let that whole music conversation happen because I'm not, um, I, I obviously not as well versed. But the one thing it made me think of was um, this. I'm you know I'm just out of high school. I'm working in like a grocery store or whatever, and a guy I worked with wanted me to like he wanted to introduce me to all of his favorite like really hardcore like metal slash whatever type of music. And he gave me like a tape, like a mixtape, because that's how old I am. And the first song on the tape was the theme for the movie Halloween. And at first I was like, why is he putting this movie song on there? But then I was like, he thinks that this is hardcore enough to be like the introduction to this tape. And it made me kind of think about just like music for films differently, that they do have kind of a, a, a bigger life than than just the thing you hear when you're watching a movie. Yeah, that's interesting. The very first um, album I ever bought on my own was well, I don't know about you know I was on my own was uh, Nightmare on My Street, which is which was oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know that one yeah. So that scared DJ the hell Chad. out of me when I was a kid. Uh, but I also <laughs> wanted to say real fast that Chad Lusky, the writer, um, is the guy who made that Alice Cooper print. I just wanted to make sure that I said that in the um, in this because he sent that to me as like a gift. Um, with, on, I think if I'm not mistaken, it was like, you know, like good luck with Mallory and that kind of thing, like a congratulations gift. 
And um, I'm going to frame that thing, man, because it's badass. Livius, I can't tell you how often Alice Cooper comes up with Livius. So, like, uh, it's... I've, I've seen <laughs> Alice Cooper, I think it's 13 times. Um, so, basically, almost every chance I can get, I go see okay. Alice Cooper. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, Because I have, so I have, like, six of his albums. I have Billion Dollar Babies. I have, obviously, Welcome to Run in Nightmare. I have, um, uh, uh, what is the name of that? What's the one where his face is on the hand? Um, raise your fist and yell. Yep, I think. that one. Yep. Um, what would be like? Like, is there like a you know like a sleeper? Like, I have like more than six actually. I think. But so what if you? Mm-hmm. So the the weirdest Alice Cooper album, I think, and I'm not not saying it's the best, but if you want to hear Alice Cooper experimenting with stuff, Zipper Catches Skin. Ooh, now ooh, that sounds. That like, might have been like '76 or '78. Um, there's some. Funny Weird, enough, interesting things on there. That was the name of Josh's erotic story he started. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, dude! I can't believe I told you guys that. My band, my bandmates, periodically would like my my uh, songwriting partner Mark would bring that up periodically. Remember when you tried to write a, a hot story? I'm like, oh, shut up. <laughs> I mean, look, that 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 genre is a money maker. That is a money maker. Sure. I don't know how people get through it. Yeah, I don't. I, they deserve I mean, the they make. I, I've got one no, idea. Yeah, in short spurts. <laughs> oh no! Wow. Yeah. Where's the? I'll I'll put some <laughs> that little drum. Please, yeah. please yeah. do. Wow. Yeah. No. It's. I, I am not. I am just. I am too naturally peaked of a dude to write that shit, man. But anyway. <laughs> All right, I'm going to jump us on to an entirely separate topic for no specific reason. But um, so we just closed out uh, an excellent month of talking about amazing books. So we uh, we obviously re- we reviewed Mallory. We really we enjoyed that. Um, we just did Stephen Graham Jones, um, The Only Good Indians, Paul Tremblay's The Survivor Song. Um, and then we also did Wonderland by Zoya Stage. And I know that you mentioned at least Wonderland before, but like, uh, what a, what a crazy month to like have all these things come. And I know there's other stuff that I haven't mentioned. This is just the ones that we've talked about on the podcast. But like, thoughts on on any of those things? Yeah, uh, I feel like um, if you got to include Mexican Gothic and Grady Hendrix's, I know he's was his was like April. Right, but you guys reviewed that one, right? The, the Southern, Southern, yeah, yeah, Southern Book Club's Guide okay. to Slaying Vampires. Um, and then Max's uh, Touch the Night, and we need to do something. And and I mean, it's I mean, I mean, there's obviously a million, but like you said, there's a gazillion. I I don't know how to explain this other than to say it feels almost like Mallory's trying out for the Olympic team. <laughs> and and it, yeah. and I really mean, I feel like some like the stakes have been raised. Um, and I think that, uh, it's almost like when you hear about like, um, oh, uh, Riley Sager's, uh, Home Before Dark in this group as well. I think that when you, um, what's it called? Like, it, let, let, let's say, um, let's say you were trying out for the Olympic tennis team, right? And you didn't make it. You, you just didn't make it or something. And then you're like, that, that, like, you know, like, I guess, I guess the equivalent would be like the New York Times bestsellers. I don't even know exactly what the making it means. But my point is like, even if you weren't like in the, t- oh, no, no, no. Like, okay, you're in the Olympics. 
and you didn't medal. That's all. You just didn't get a medal, let's say. Right. But it's like, but it's like, dude, you're in the fucking Olympics. Like you, your friend at the bar would be like, okay, I know you're complaining that you didn't get a medal in tennis, but like, dude, you're you're like, holy shit, tennis player, you're in the Olympics, and that's there's a feeling of that right now when I'm looking around at all these books coming out where it's like, oh shit, man, we're all we're all at a different level right now, and I don't mean. We're, at all, we're all at a different level in sales, although that's true, too, for a lot of us. But And I don't mean that we're at a different level of fame or 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 anything like that. It just feels like <laughs> it feels like the ante has been raised or something. And everybody in the scene is like, it's just getting like, like, I don't know if I don't know if it's possible to top 2020 in terms of horror releases of this. I I. Maybe I'm wrong, and I know that there's going to be a, a, a ton, tons of more holy shit novels coming from all of us of this era and people we don't know the names of yet, too. But I don't know that we're going to necessarily top 2020, and I don't know that we're going to top July of 2020. Because this is, I'm just like, I feel it right now. I feel like I'm in, like, <laughs> like I don't know how to explain it. It's not pressure but it's like oh shit like like when when a when a person um makes it to the nba or or to the nfl and then they'll they'll always say like oh the game moves a lot faster there and that's how it feels right now it's like oh shit the game's moving fast right now yeah you know yeah yeah, yeah. i'm with you where you feel like i gotta be on my game because i'm amongst like such talent yeah and then also there's even another sense of like what's like um Hey man, if me and Victor and Anya and Zoya and Paul and all these names, if we're all gonna like represent the, this era, well then let's fucking do it. Let's let's let then let's go for it. Let's let's not take that. I don't want to say it's a responsibility because that sounds a little fishy or something. John Langan, all all these names, yeah. Larry Baron, all, there's a lot of them. I mean, there's like 60, 70 names. It's not f four four people or something. It's a lot, but there's also like, hey, we are this era, and there's some sense of like, well, then let's fucking like, let's let's kill it, let's do it. <laughs> Publishing um, takes forever, so I will remind you that everybody is in a lockdown. So although I agree with you that July will be hard to top, like a year and a half from now or whatever that process is, we may see a very interesting um, uh, conglomeration of of books coming out just from people having nothing better to do, I guess. I, I, again, I mean, I know that I just, I don't know if I'm expressing it right about, what's it called? Um, about the, this era. I don't know how to explain it right. And then sports references seem silly or something. But all I can say is that like, I feel like some people might be like, oh yes, it's very talented. And like, okay, okay. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not just that. Like there's a moment going on and I'm very aware of it. And I think that you guys are aware of it. That's why you're asking about it. And, and you know, I know Steven's, Stephen Graham Jones is aware of it. And I know that, like, I don't know. It's interesting. And then I'm working on a new one now. And you almost are starting to see it as, like, and remember, I thank God I have, like, 20 others, like, already written in this office. <laughs> um, but it's, like, you almost start to feel like this next book, whether it um, – um, uh, Stephen's next book, whether it's good or bad, whatever, it's now it's part of this era, right? And that's that's pretty sweet. 
Yeah. I feel like there was an uptick in general. Uh, 2018 was was a pretty damn good year, and then last year was really like a start of some momentum. But like 2020 is just it's it's its own animal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be uh, <laughs> it's gonna look interesting down the road. That's for sure. <laughs> One thing, Brian Keane, um, in 2016 said um, he wasn't saying this as an endorsement of Trump, obviously, Jesus Christ, but he was saying that um. Every time there's a Republican in office, horror does really, really well. And he wrote that in hmm. 2016 when Trump won. And then he said it again in an online um, event. I can't remember exactly what it was right now. Damn it. But it was on, it was whatever, it was online and he was live on and he was talking about that. How, for whatever reason, if you go looking through history, like Reagan was president in the 80s and you start like going through the history of, and then, um, uh, Bush was president when The Rising came out and you start going through like the history of horror you're like oh shit dude you're right and I don't think there could be a more you know extreme like what the fuck's going on president uh, Republican administration <laughs> right now and it's coinciding with a uh, holy shit I don't know if there could be a more intense month in horror it's, in- it's interesting that I'm is just interesting saying, whatever Brian's talking about there's a link there that <laughs> I wish he was, if you're going to talk to him soon, ask him about it. Um, but there's definitely, he's definitely right. There's something to that. And I don't know exactly what it is. All right. Before we head over to uh, spoiler questions, our newest um, segment that we're playing with, um, what are we likely to see next from you, Josh? Well, so the hard, a hardcover of A House at the Bottom of the Lake is coming out um in uh october then um a hardcover of goblin is coming out in the spring of next year and then or in around this time next year is supposed to be another book that i have already sold to del rey but i'm just writing this other one for no reason right now as you guys know i am you know (laughs) i often do and I'm really, really, really thinking that this might, this might be that or something. So I, it, it, so that that's what it is though. It's a house at a house at the bottom of a lake, goblin, and um, then a new one about this time next year, a new novel. That's well. I, I like the pace of that. Uh, people don't have to wait too much longer till. They get more stuff from you. Um, well, uh, we're going to thank you for joining us for this interview. Obviously, we're going to jump over and talk a little bit spoilers in our in our Patreon. Um, but thanks so much for joining us. It's always like the best time talking to you about books and stuff. Yeah, same to you guys. I freaking love it. I feel like you you set uh, you guys set me in set me in a good space at the beginning of this when you were like, yeah, I could be laid back. You don't have to be at nine. I think I ended up going up to nine anyway. But but it, <laughs> but it was nice to be be told that I didn't have to or something. So thanks, Pat. And uh, I think I hope you guys will all agree that um, as promised, what a fantastic interview that was. Yeah, I love one of the things I love about talking to Josh is that um, we know that the stuff that we've planned to talk about is going to go well. But there's also going to be extra other stuff, and that extra other stuff was is always charming and fun and and just a great time. And uh, we definitely got plenty of that this time, for sure. Um, I'm pretty sure I know what's going to 
be next. So I'm, I'm going to just go ahead and say it. Um, Stephen Graham Jones interview, because why not read uh, the four amazing books that came out in July and then interview the four amazing authors that wrote them? I mean, that seems like a natural uh, thing to do. So next up, interview with Stephen Graham Jones, where we'll be discussing The Only Good Indians and likely Night of the Mannequins. Um, don't forget, please, please, please like this podcast wherever you're listening. Comment, subscribe, whatever it is on whatever platform. Completely helps us out. Completely helps us lure in other great guests like Josh Mallerman. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Join us soon for Stephen Graham Jones. Till then, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. <laughs>